Before I tell you a little bit more about myself, I do have to tell a funny story on Grant. Uh, I was thinking about this. The, I was thinking about it a couple days before Rachel actually called me to preach. And so I thought, man, thank you, Lord, for bringing this to mind. So I was a college student. Grant and Rachel were, were on staff at Antioch, and Kelsey and I were super involved. And we, we had just changed locations, and so we were officially becoming a mobile church. And so part of that process was we had these two huge black trailers that were full of, you know, kids' classroom supplies and just the whole thing to make church happen every Sunday. And it was this big system that we purchased. And so this particular weekend was kind of all hands on deck because Sunday we were, you know, launching at a, at a different location. And so I remember a lot of college students were at the church and Kelsey and I were up there helping and Grant said, hey, Kevin, can you, can you run with me to the storage unit to get the trailer? I need to bring it back over here to work on it. So I said, sure. So it's maybe six or seven o'clock on a Saturday night, you know, so we need to get this and get it ready for Sunday. So, I sh so Grant and I roll up to the, the storage unit and we cannot get the storage unit open. And he has the key and he, you know, it's unit 405 or whatever. And, and we're messing with it for probably 15, 20 minutes. You know, we're both dripping sweat. We cannot get it open. So we don't know what to do. We have to have this trailer, you know. So Grant gets out his phone and calls the lady who is the manager or whatever. It was one of those, you know, where she kind of lives there. And so she, she drives up in her golf cart. You know, it's, again, 7 o'clock on a Saturday night. The last thing, this is the last thing she wants me to do. And Grant and I are like, we can't get it open, you know. And so she drives back, comes back with a grinder. And we spend about 15 or 20 minutes. We cut through the lock, open the garage, only to find that we were at the wrong unit. <laughs> Okay, so I'll never forget the look on Grant's face, the look on her face. She is clearly upset, thinking, now I have to call the owners, you know. Uh, I just cut your lock off, you know. And uh, lo and behold, we were, we were one unit over. And, uh, and so, turns out the key worked in our unit, you know, imagine that. <laughs> so that's one of my favorite Grant stories that I hadn't thought about in years, and um, it just came to mind the other day. But... Uh, <laughs> So, uh, funny stuff. Um, as Grant mentioned, Kelsey and I have been on staff at Antioch for five years, three and a half of those, uh, the privilege of, of overseeing the youth ministry. See some of our former youth in the back. It's good to see you guys. Um, and and uh, we actually had planned on transitioning at, to be the associate pastors at Antioch, Oklahoma City. That had been the plan this whole year. And uh, as part of that, Antioch had let us go on a three-week sabbatical, so we go to California to visit my brother and just get away to pray and get in vision. And it was on that sabbatical that we felt like God threw this major curveball and, and said, hey, I'm actually calling, calling you in, out of full-time ministry and in, into business. And so we came back and, and had those conversations, and, and uh, that was about six weeks ago. And so it's been, it's been a whirlwind, and so, uh, but it's been super fun. I couldn't ask for a better... Uh, Wife, teammate, best friend to have by my side. She's in the back there, uh, the beautiful blonde. And we have a five-month-old named Adeline who my mom is holding. And so it's been a really sweet season and, and crazy season of just change and transition, learning how to be parents, stepping out of something that, that has felt really familiar uh, for, for five years, you know, full-time ministry, and stepping into something that feels way out of my comfort zone. Uh, but it's been really sweet to be on Grant's team, and, and you know, with Ashley and Sharon and, and um, Caitlin here and McCoby, and just feel like God has surrounded us by some people that really love Jesus and believe in us a whole lot. So, well, I'm excited to speak with you guys this morning. Like I said, Rachel called me, I think it was at four o'clock on Thursday afternoon. I don't think I've ever had less notice for a Sunday sermon, right? I mean, for a youth sermon on Wednesday, maybe, but never for a Sunday sermon. Uh, but God is so faithful because he had been stirring this thing in me over the past couple months. And so it was one of those things. Kelsey was like, are, are you nervous? Do you have something? I was like, I, I do have something. I, I don't know. You know, it's from the Lord. And so uh, my prayer and my hope for you this morning is that this is going to be as insightful and revelatory as it's been for me. And just to be completely honest, this is something that I've, I still feel like I'm working through. I still feel like I'm on a journey in this thing. I don't feel like I've arrived. I don't feel like I have it uh, all figured out. And so I'm excited for you guys to kind of hop in on this journey with me. You know, one of my favorite things to do is to find kingdom nuggets and kingdom principles in unexpected places. Do you guys know what I mean? Whether it's a, a movie or a book or a podcast, you know, something that maybe would be considered secular. I love to watch these things, read them, and, and find little things that, oh, that's, that's kingdom, you know, and, and oh, that, that's totally kingdom, you know, and, and they didn't intend that probably, uh, but I love doing that. I love finding kingdom things in unexpected places. 
And this happened to me this past summer. In fact, it was one of those seasons where I found God continually dropping something in front of me, this same theme. And it kept popping up in kind of weird places. You know, I remember, again, Kelsey and I were in California, and my brother had mentioned, hey, hey, Kevin, you need to check out this podcast. There was, a, there was a, an interesting conversation about such and such. And I thought, that's weird. You know, God, God kept kind of bringing it up. And what God kept bringing up was the power of visualization with the human imagination. And it just kept being brought up to me in these weird and strange and unexpected places. And it got to the point where I thought, okay, God, you have my attention, I'm listening. And so a couple months ago, I began to do some research on my own, and I came across a fascinating article on, on businessinsider.com, and it was about the power of visualization. And this was a study that was conducted by these Russian scientists, and they were looking at top-performing Olympic athletes. Now, how many of you know, if you're an Olympic athlete, you're already a top performer? But these Russian scientists were really asking the question, what sets apart the best of the best? I mean, you're already the best, right? But then you have the, the Michael Phelpses who take home, you know, eight medals every time he competes. And so they conducted a study, and they looked at four different groups of athletes. The first group of athletes spent 100% of their time training their bodies. The second group spent 75% of their time training their bodies, 25% training their minds. The third group, 50-50. And the fourth group spent only 25% of their training time training their bodies and 75% training their mind. And so they studied them leading up to the Olympics. And then after the Olympics, they compared their, their data and they found that the fourth group performed the best. So this was the group that spent the least amount of time training their bodies and the most training their mind. And so what they found and what they put forth was that the best of the best, best actually spend more time training their minds than they do their bodies. Now, this was such a significant finding that the U.S. Olympic Committee actually increased the number of full-time psychologists from one to six. So this research kind of turned the, the Olympic world upside down just a little bit. And so I remember reading this article and thinking, okay, Lord, you have my intention, right? Because the reality is if, if something is true, then it's from the Lord, right? I mean, if something is true, I'm thinking, okay, well, that has to be from God. Somewhere in there, there has to be a kingdom nugget. Somewhere in there, you know, there has to be, like, if this is true, then it's originally from God. And so I began asking God. I said, okay, God, you have to show me this in Scripture. You keep bringing this up. I need you to show me this in Scripture. I need to understand how, as believers, we can leverage this thing that, you know, Russian Olympic athletes are leveraging, right? If they can do it and it's from you, then surely we can do it. Now, if you're like most people, when I use the word imagination, maybe you felt uncomfortable, maybe you squirmed a little, maybe you didn't. Now, Rachel did tell me, you guys can handle some out there stuff, so maybe, maybe this crew didn't. Uh, but the average, you know, believer, your average churchgoer is going to maybe get a little bit uncomfortable when I throw out the word imagination. And I think that's because the enemy has been so successful at perverting our imaginations, culture media has been so successful at that. And so because of that, our imagination has kind of become like the Grinch, right? You, you guys know the song, it says like, I wouldn't touch him with a 99 and a half foot stick, right? Like, I feel like that's how as believers, we oftentimes treat our imagination because we're afraid it might lead us into sin or it might lead us into a place we don't want to go. And so because of that, we just kind of put it over in the corner and we don't really know what to do with it. And then you have, you know, the new age gurus and the self-help gurus, and they kind of have the market on imagination because they're not certainly afraid of it, right? And so I think because of that, as believers, we're kind of left with, I don't really know what to do with it. The water's been muddied a little bit, and so, and so again, I think for most of us, myself included, up until a couple months ago, I had never really kind of connected this idea of, 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 of a believer, a spirit-empowered believer, uh, connecting with our, our imaginations. And I came across a quote, and I want to read it to you. It says, uh, by a man named Michael Card, he said, as created beings, one of our greatest treasures, perhaps the dearest fingerprint of God in us is our ability to imagine. I love that. He says, perhaps the dearest fingerprint of God in us is our ability to imagine. Perhaps God gave us our imagination 
literally our ability to see and visualize something that is not as though it were as a gift and as a weapon. Right? And I think we take back what's ours. I think it's time that the church begins to take back what's ours. And so what I want to suggest this morning is that the sanctified imagination of the believer is a powerful weapon that can actually launch us into our destiny. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Joshua chapter 6. We're going to read verses 1 and 2. This was the first passage that the Lord brought me to and I began to ask him and say, okay, God, you have to show me this. I, you know, I got to find this in scripture before I'm really going to jump all in. And to give you a little context, the Israelites have just spent 40 years in the desert. You remember, right? They got to the edge. They sent in the spies. Two said yes. Ten said no. So God sent them back into the desert for 40 years. So now here we are on the back end of that. Moses has died. Joshua has assumed the leadership of the Israelites. They're on, they're, they're now, they have just entered into the promised land a couple chapters before. And here they are about to face a major test with the city of Jericho. You know, it's a familiar story for many of us. And so this is where we pick up the story. Joshua chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. It says, Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. Verse 2, here it is. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, someone say see. I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. It is as if God comes to Joshua and says, Joshua, before you do anything, before you strap on your shield and pick up your sword and lead your men into battle, you actually have to see what I want to do. Right? And we know that God was asking Joshua to use his imagination because at that point there was literally nothing to see with his physical eyes but a major city, and it says mighty men of valor. So in other words, if Joshua were to use his physical eyes, the only thing he would have seen was an impossible situation. Something that is absolutely impossible, not going to happen without God. And so God comes to Joshua and he says, Joshua, I actually need you to see it. I actually need you to imagine what I'm going to do tomorrow or next week or, or however long the time. I believe it was a week. They walked around for seven days. Joshua, I actually need you to imagine it. Imagine what I'm going to do. It was essential that Joshua was able to do this so that he could lead his men accordingly. I mean, imagine if Joshua can only see he and his men getting just slaughtered and destroyed. I mean, we know, of course, God could have still worked the victory, but I think it would have been difficult for Joshua to lead his men how God had called him to lead. And so we know the rest of the story, right? The walls come tumbling down as the song goes, and the Israelites capture the city. What's the point? Joshua had to see it before it was a reality. It was so interesting to me. I remember reading that passage a couple months ago, and I have the word see underlined in my Bible. It jumped off the page to me, and I thought, there it is. There it is. That ability to imagine, to visualize what God is saying. Genesis chapter 13, flip over there with me. This was the second passage that the Lord pointed out to me in my time with him. Genesis chapter 13, verses 14 through 17. So just a little context here. We see in Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abraham. It was the famous, you know, leave your family, leave your friends, go to a country that I will show you. And so Abraham takes his substantial, you know, entourage, possessions, animals, servants, and and even some of his family members. And we find here in chapter 13 that they're so wealthy and they have so many possessions that they're causing some strife. And so they decide, okay, Lot, uh, who's Abraham's nephew, you, you go this way and take this land and I'll take this land, okay? So that's kind of the context here. Verse 14, it says, The Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, lift up, your, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see, someone say see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one count the dust of the one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can also be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. 
Notice here the intention of God. I mean, God could have come to Abraham and handed him a parchment. He could have done a number of different things and simply spelled out, hey, buddy, here, here's your inheritance. All right, it's, it's 10 miles this way and 20 miles that way and 50 miles this way. But that's not what God does. God does something very intentional with Abraham, and he uses the same word he used with Joshua, and he said, I want you to see it. In other words, Abram's inheritance was only limited by his vision. Abraham's inheritance was only limited by his vision. I don't know about you, but if I'm Abram in that situation, I'm scrambling up the tallest mountain so I can see the farthest that I can so I can get the biggest inheritance, right? Abram's inheritance was limited only by his vision. Now, I think for most of us, God's probably not going to say, you know, go out your front door, stand on your house, and everything you see I will give to you. That's probably not how it's going to happen with you and I. Maybe, and that would be cool. But I think for most of us, it's going to be in the secret place with Jesus day in and day out. And he's going to say, Kevin, can you see what I want to do in your marriage? Can you imagine it? And he's going to begin to talk to me about it. You know, I loved what Grant said. He opened the service. He was saying that he had a conversation with God this morning. I loved that. And I would imagine that he was asking, Grant was probably asking God, God, what do you want to do in the service this morning? Right? It's that ability to get with Jesus and to begin to allow him to speak into what he wants to do in our lives. What does he want to do in our finances? What does he want to do in our health? What does he want to do in our calling, in our job, in our in the lives of our children, whatever that would be for you, you can fill in the blank. And then imagine it, literally visualize it. What he's saying and what he's doing. Now I want to be really clear here because what I'm not suggesting is that imagining or visualizing alters reality. I think if we were to read some of the self-help books in the New Age philosophy, you might find some of that. And I just simply don't think we see that in Scripture. Rather, for us as believers, this is important, it's an issue of alignment. It's not about if I imagine a million dollars in my bank account, it's going to come to me. I mean, go for it and try it. But I think for us as believers, it's an issue of alignment. I think the whole point of God coming to Joshua and saying, Joshua, I need you to see it is so that Joshua could bring himself into a place of alignment and then lead his men accordingly. Same thing with Abraham. It wasn't an issue of, okay, okay, I want you to shift reality with your mind powers, right, your mind beams. No, it was, hey, this is what I have for you, and I need you to come into alignment with it. You see, when we're in alignment with who God has created us to be and what he's saying, we are absolutely unstoppable. I mean, there is nothing that can stop us as believers. We see it in both of these stories, right? Joshua absolutely destroyed his enemies over and over and over. Why? Because he was in alignment with God. It's not an issue of us changing our circumstances necessarily. It's an issue of us coming into alignment with what God is saying. But I think the problem is so few of us know how to live from that place, right? I mean, I think if we're honest, so, so often our imaginations are fueled by fear and worry and anxiety and comparison and lack and lust and all these different things. And so because of that, we don't know how to leverage this incredible gift that God's given us. And, you know, and we put it over in the corner like we talked about. But the ability to imagine what God is saying is the process of our hearts and minds coming into alignment with our spirit, with what God is saying, right? It's the sapling of an apple tree understanding that he too will bear fruit one day, even though as of yet there is no evidence. It's the power of submitting our imaginations to, to the Holy Spirit. I had a situation a couple weeks ago come up that God really drove this point home for me. It was a Thursday, I remember, and I, I realized that I had to have a conversation that I did not want to have. How many of you have been in that situation before, right? So it's a Thursday, and, and I text the person, or I try to set up the, the meeting, and, and it's one of those, I'm like, I just want to get it over with, you know, uh, but I can't connect with this person until Monday, and I'm just thinking, oh my gosh, you know. And so it was one of those deals where I just had that knot in the pit of my stomach, you know, for a couple days. 
every time I thought about it, you know, I just, I tried not to think about it. It was like, la, 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 I don't want to act like that's going to happen, you know. And, um, and so a couple days into this, I remember the Lord is like, hey, Kevin, like, what are you imagining? What are you believing about that conversation, right? Because every time I had pictured that conversation happening, I pictured it going, you know, at the worst it could possibly go. And then because of that, I would have the knot in the pit of my stomach, the fear, the whole deal. And I realized God was saying, like, Kevin, look at what you're imagining. Look at what you're visualizing every time you think about that. And I felt like he said, why don't you ask me how, how I in, intend that conversation to go? And so I was like, okay, Lord, that's a good idea. So I sit down with, you know, or I, I don't know, it just took a couple minutes. It wasn't this big formal deal. And I said, okay, God, how do you see this conversation going? And I remember it was completely opposite of what I was envisioning, you know. And so I said, okay, God, every time I think about this conversation over the next two days, I think this was a Saturday, right? So I'd been fearful for a couple days. God speaks to me. I have a couple more days. I said, I want to see it your way, and we'll see what happens. And so every time in my time with the Lord, just every time it came up, I would begin to visualize what, how God said it would go. And I remember walking into that meeting the following Monday, nervous, you know, hearts racing, palms are sweaty. And it went absolutely incredible. I mean, it went exactly as God said it would go. And I remember just that situation really drove home for me the power of this. And again, I don't think my visualization did alter reality. I don't think so. But again, I think it was the issue of my heart and my mind coming into alignment with God saying, hey, Kevin, this is my intention. Would you believe with me? Would you allow your imagination to be fueled by my promises, by my character, by my nature, not by the spirit of fear, by the spirit of worry, by the spirit of accusation? And it was just so incredible to me. And I realized, man, this is a big deal. Because I think most of the time, again, if we're honest, as we imagine things as, as believers, we're imagining them as if God wasn't even in the picture. You know, I know that Kelsey and I really had to wrestle through this as I stepped out of my job, you know, my salary and health insurance and all those things to step into real estate. It was scary. Not, not even because it was uncomfortable and new, but just because, because of those things, right? The financial part of it, the consistent well, I, you know, I'm going to get a paycheck twice a month, and they're going to pay my insurance, and okay, we have that, you know. And it was stepping into the unknown. And literally, I was in California. I felt like God took me to Genesis 12, where he called Abraham out, and he said, Kevin, this is what, this is what I want you to imagine. You know, he says, I will bless you, you know, and you'll be a blessing. And so I had to, I have, I've had to work over the past six to eight weeks that when that fear comes knocking, you know, I was telling Ashley beforehand, like, I need to get paid. I need to sell a house. You know, I haven't sold a house, Right? And when fear comes knocking and insecurity comes knocking, okay, God, this is what you said. This is what you said two months ago. This is how I'm going to envision this career. This is how I'm going to imagine this going. You're my provider. If I don't sell a house my entire life, you're my provider. You've promised to provide for my family. I'm not my family's provider. My job is to be obedient and trust that you'll take care of the rest. And so God's really been driving this home in my own life. And so my question for you guys this morning is simple, and it's simply, what are you imagining? You know, I feel like most often it's when we're in our cars alone or when we're going to bed at night and our imagination kind of starts to run. What, what are you imagining when you think about your marriage? Maybe you're in a rough spot. What are you imagining when you're thinking about your finances? Maybe you just had a deal fall through or you're struggling with some debt or something like that. What are you imagining when you think about your health? I mean, whatever, you fill in the blank. And is it in alignment with the character, the nature, the purposes, and the promises of God or not? And it's a big deal because if what you see isn't what God's saying, then you actually have an alignment issue. How many of you guys have ever driven a car with an alignment issue? You kind of got to drive the steering wheel crooked, right? You don't want to live with an alignment issue. And so if you're wondering, am I in alignment with the word of God over my life? Think about what you've been thinking about, right? <laughs> Think about what you've been imagining. Think about what you've been visualizing. And that will tell you if you're in alignment with the character, the purposes, the nature of God or not. So I want to give you just two quick practicals for how we step into this or how I've been stepping into it to see if maybe it would be encouraging for you. 
The first thing is simply this. We have to make space for it. It's so simple. We have to make space for it. That's why I know Grant and Rachel, I'm sure, hit this home all the time, but spending time with Jesus is so important every day. It doesn't matter if you're busy, you have kids, whatever, you have to make space for it. And so that's the first practical way is simply making space for it and saying, God, I, I want to I work this thing out with you. So we have to make space for it. And then the second just practical I would give you is you have to write it down. There's something significant about that, right? Habakkuk 2.2, it says, write the vision, make it plain. Why? So that he who reads it may run. It's so good, right? Write the vision, make it plain. Why? So that he who reads it may run. Shortly after I got my real estate license, one of the very first things I did, it's so about four weeks ago, was I got with God, I think it was a Monday morning, and I just said, God, what do you see when you envision my real estate career? And I literally wrote it down. I have a document on my computer. When I envision my real estate career, I see this. And I just allowed God to, to begin to, to speak things. Now, I'm not saying I heard 100% perfectly correct. But I think it's the place of me simply making space for God to speak, right? And one of the things I, every day when I sit down now, I read through that before I start cold calling or whatever it is I'm doing that day. And I say, okay, God, this is, this is what you said. I'm not just doing this because it's a job. I'm doing this because you've called me into it, right? I literally have documents in my computer. When I visualize my marriage, this is what I see. I could show you. When I visualize my health, whatever it is, I literally have a few of those in my computer, and I revisit them frequently because I want to see my life through the lens of what God is seeing and what he's saying. And there's just something about writing it down that kind of pulls us into that place and reading it and revisiting it and meditating on it. So maybe you're hearing this and thinking, man, Kevin, that's a great idea, but you don't know my imagination. You don't understand how my mind runs and races. And to that, I would just say, that's why we have to get into this thing. That's why we have to spend so much time with God that we know his character and his nature it's so important. And I promise you that as you do that, your imagination, your visualization, it will begin to come into alignment with the word of God, the purposes of God. Right? We have to know his heart so well that when we allow the Holy Spirit to begin to paint on the blank canvas of our imagination, we know it's him. We know it's him. We know his character. We know his nature. There's no question because we know him so well. And there's grace for the journey. I opened with that this morning, and I, I was just vulnerable with you guys, saying, I'm on a journey with you guys. I don't have this thing figured out. I'm excited to look back in a year on what I felt like God was saying for my real estate career and say, okay, where did I miss it, and where did I get it right, you know? Because I have no doubt that I missed some of it. But I think I probably heard God, too. And it's as we do that consistently that we learn to hear the voice of God. I believe this so much, that we are most like God when we are imagining. You know why? Because God imagined you and I. He imagined the world before he created it. And at God's core, he is a creator. And so I really, I, that's why I love that quote at the beginning, that, that our ability to see things as though they are, but that are not currently, is such a reflection of the character and the nature and the heart of God. The ability to make the invisible visible. That's who our dad is. And he's called us to do that in our families and in our finances, in our life. To see things that are not as though they are. So, you encouraged? I don't think that was a, an exhaustive study necessarily on the topic of imagination and visualization. But my hope, nothing else, was to simply light a fire of curiosity was to suggest this morning that I think our imagination was meant to be a weapon and not um, a, a hindrance or a stumbling block or something to be afraid of, you know? And so I want to transition in just to a little bit of a ministry time, if that's okay. I don't know if you guys did a live band or... Great, okay. So why don't you guys stand? We're going to take just a couple minutes to respond
So, <clears throat> John, will you turn off the big lights for me? Are y'all resonating with what he's saying? Yes. You need to go buy this book. <laughs> well, he doesn't know. He doesn't know anything that Rachel's been talking about, right? But this is the Lord, and I just conf- I I'm saying yes. This is the Lord in in what He's doing in our body because God's been pounding this for a month now in our body, and I think He's going to continue to. And I think Kevin, by the Holy Spirit, has been plot you know put in this spot. Um, but he he's saying the exact same things. And I almost read a paragraph from this, but I have to read like every page so far because it's ex- it's this is the word of God. What He's saying. And the idea that you were predestined by God before the earth was created with a dream in God's heart that he wrote down in the heavenlies, right? A book for you. And he has dreams and plans for you. And what happens when you do what Kevin's telling you to do is you're asking God, show me what you wrote down for me. And when you see what God wrote down for you, you step into your destiny. And when you step in your destiny, there will be grace and favor and everything you need to thrive in that place, you know. So, yes and amen. It's awesome. So I think just as we respond, just for a couple minutes here, what I really feel like the Lord was saying was, you know, we need to, and everyone's in a different place, and I want to say there's so much grace this morning. But I think, again, one of the reasons we struggle in this area is because, whether knowingly or unknowingly, we have submitted our mind and our eyes to images movies, pictures, songs that have defiled our imagination. And I felt like this morning said the Lord was saying, we need to repent and ask just for the Holy Spirit to cleanse our imagination, to wash us. And, and I, I think this is a journey as well, right? But I think for some of you guys, it's going to be a stake in the ground this morning. You feel so tormented by lustful thoughts. You feel so tormented by fearful thoughts. That when you imagine, you can't, it's almost, it feels impossible to imagine what God's saying. So we're going to take a couple minutes here. If you need someone to pray for you, Grant said you guys are great at praying for each other. So I would say just grab a, grab a friend, grab a neighbor. If you need to come forward and, and get before God, man, do that. But we're just going to allow the Holy Spirit to sanctify, to wash, to purify our imagination, to repent, to say, God, I'm sorry that I didn't protect my eyes. I'm sorry I didn't protect my mind. I'm sorry that I allowed defiling images to be painted on the canvas of my imagination. And would you come and wash it today? So I'm going to pray for us real quick, and then I'm going to give the the mic to Grant, and you guys can come forward. But Holy Spirit, we just thank you that, that imagination is a gift, that we're most like you when we're able to see things that are not as though they are. And Father, we, I just say that we repent for subjecting our eyes and our minds to defiling, impure images. And Father, we bring our imaginations before you this morning and say, would you cleanse them? Would you sanctify them? Would you purify them? Would you wipe the slate clean, so to speak? And would you come and have your way in these few minutes? In Jesus' name, amen.